Come, let's, this morning as we begin, uh, please uh, keep your Bibles open in front of you uh, or on your phones. And also, uh, there's a sermon outline that you might find helpful if you want to download the e-bulletin and refer to that. Okay, come, please join me in prayer. Father, please let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable before you, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Now, let me ask uh, in opening, why is it that we find ourselves so attracted to stories, stories of people who turn from wrecks to riches? Why do these wrecks to riches stories attract us so much? And I find myself, uh, whenever I find articles on people who turn their lives around in our papers or online, I find myself attracted to read them, right? And so perhaps it's simply inspiring to know how celebrities and even ordinary people like us overcome tragic childhoods and utter poverty to get to where they are today. For example, did you know that J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, she was a victim of domestic abuse. She had to raise her daughter single-handedly with social welfare. As a result, she suffered clinical depression and she was suicidal. After her book was rejected by 12 different publishers, her first book, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, was finally published in 1997. And whether you love or hate her books or the movies that come out of these books, we cannot deny that the success of this franchise has made her one of the richest and charitable persons in the UK today. She actually gave away lots of her wealth so that she dropped from being a billionaire. That's what this story tells us. Well, our closing song for today, later on, is the popular carol, Silent Night. And it was written just over 200 years ago by this Austrian priest whose name was Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore came from humble and even despised origins. He was the illegitimate son of a soldier, a soldier who abandoned his family. And so Joseph was raised by his poor mother and he joined the priesthood in order to pursue his love for music. With help from his church organist, Joseph set this little poem, which he wrote a couple of years ago, to music on Christmas Eve, 1818. And that very night, he led his church to sing Silent Night, or Still Natch, in the, in the German for the first time. And the rest is history. This song was declared an intangible cultural heritage by UNESCO in 2011. In case you're wondering what is this intangible her cultural heritage, that's the same award that was given to Singapore hawker culture uh, last year. Right? As for the songwriter himself, Joseph became instrumental in setting up a school and education fund for poor children, as well as a home for destitute elderly. He himself never really became very wealthy because he donated most of his salary to charity. And very sadly, at the age of 55, he died of a lung infection 
after a winter walk, and all he had left behind was his guitar. Now, our sermon today is about the silent night that Joseph Moore wrote about in 1818. But more accurately, it is about the baby boy who was born that silent night, around 2,000 years ago, under very humble circumstances. And these circumstances downplay the glorious significance of his birth. See, his life on earth was not a rags-to-riches kind of story, but rather a riches-to-rags story in reverse. The Lord Jesus, as God incarnate, laid aside his glory to come into our world as a baby. If we don't see the true significance of this baby boy, then you and I would be left poorer for not knowing the riches which God has showered upon us through Christ. So to uncover, to help us to uncover what truly happened that silent night, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. And the context of this uh, chapter is that the birth of this child had already been announced by the angel Gabriel to his mother Mary. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. Maybe let's read this together, shall we? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And with this announcement, we come to chapter 2. And here in chapter 2, we see the humble birth of this holy child in the first seven verses. This child is the son of God. And next, we, we are followed with the, the angel's proclamation of this glorious news to some shepherds. And finally, these shepherds would pay a joyous visit to the newborn child. And we'll finally end by contemplating the significance of Christ's incarnation for humanity. So first, let us open by looking at the humble birth of this child that silent night. In verse 1, we come to read verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. There was a royal decree by the, the first Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, to conduct a census on the, as the... This is the backdrop for the humble birth of the Lord Jesus. That all the, all the world should be registered tells us that this was to be an empire-wide census, and it can be quite a massive endeavour. Look at the spread of the Roman Empire. Well, here in Singapore, our Singapore population census was last conducted in 2020, and the aim, I quote, is to provide the broad trends and changes relating to the demographic characteristics, marriage and fertility, education, literacy, home language, and religion of the residents' population. And this is a once-in-a-decade uh, census. It's in its 15th anniversary in 2020. It's uh, first conducted in 1871. And so you may be asking, what's the purpose of this census? Well, it is for the sake of providing guidance to our government to set future policies. The Roman census was also conducted regularly. Uh, it was conducted around once every 14 years. 
but it was for the purpose of taxation. Right? So the census was not for the emperor to get to know his people better so that he might know how best to serve his people, but rather to demand their service of him by paying taxes. And verse 2 tells us that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, the Greek here in this uh, sentence is rather unusual. This registration was likely before Quirinius became governor of the Roman province of Syria. Jewish historian Josephus reported that another census was indeed conducted while Quirinius was governor in Syria, and that was in AD 6. Right? And this is referenced in Acts chapter 5, for this led to an uprising, a Jewish uprising. But this present census here in Luke 2 took place before the death of King Herod, which happened in 4 BC. And it was the last one before Quirinius became governor. And so this would date the Lord Jesus' birth as shortly before 4 BC, before Herod died. And this would be at least four years earlier than our traditional reckoning of, you know, the turn of from 1 BC to AD 1. Luke sets his account of Christ's birth in secular history in order to show its historicity and factuality. According to the scholar Leon Morris, Luke was also making an important theological point, and it is this, that God is the Lord of history, and the actions of the, of the emperor in faraway Rome do but set forward the divine plan and purpose. See, through this secular ruler, God was orchestrating the circumstances for the humble birth of his son. So in verse 3, we read this. All went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. See here, notice that Mary was called his betrothed, Joseph's betrothed because their marriage wasn't yet consummated. At this point, she was still a virgin, but she was bearing the Son of God, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary had to leave their hometown, which is in Nazareth in Galilee, for their ancestral home, ancestral home in Bethlehem, which is in Judea. And this is likely a five-day journey it took about 160 kilometers to travel there, right? Because of the mountains, they had to make a detour. And this must have been onerous for the heavily pregnant mom to be, right? It reminds me of the convoys that we had to do when my wife was heavily pregnant and we, we wanted to drive up and join the rest of the church in church camp, right? And we, we wonder when we can do that again, very sadly, right? But we had to do a convoy because we knew that along the way we had to make multiple stops for the children and for the mum who has to keep going to the toilet. And so I imagine that this was a difficult journey for Joseph and Mary. The descriptions here of Bethlehem is the city of David. 
And Joseph is described as of the lineage and the house and lineage of David. Both of this should raise our expectations for this baby. The prophet Micah had said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. That's in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And if we take this together with God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, right, that God will give him an offspring who will rule forever, as well as the angel's words to Mary herself in, Mark, uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. It is quite clear that this baby was the promised Davidic king, the king of Israel. In verse 6, we read, And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. See, their time in Bethlehem must have dragged on longer than they expected, beyond the EDD, or the expected dates of delivery for this baby. And it was not because they had to serve quarantine because of COVID, but possibly because of the sudden influx of visitors to the little town of Bethlehem. And this may have delayed the census. Well, regardless, the result of this was that there was no room for them in the inn. We are told that the Greek word just translated as in here doesn't refer to a motel or hotel. It's definitely not a five-star hotel, but it is likely the guest room of a private home. And this is reflected in the ESV footnotes as well as in the latest NIV translation. Right? So Jewish hospitality compels people to provide shelter and food, especially for their visiting relatives. But because of this census and the sudden influx of uh, visitors, there simply wasn't any more space in the guest room. And so the newborn baby had to be placed in a manger, an animal feeding trough in the main room of the house. In referring to Jesus as Mary's firstborn son, Luke may be implying here that Mary didn't remain a virgin for life but she did go on to bear other children. Otherwise, he could have used the word that calls Jesus Mary's only begotten son. But Jesus wasn't just Mary's firstborn and begotten. He wasn't the begotten, but he, was, he wasn't just Mary's firstborn. He was also God's firstborn son. He was the true son of God whom Israel felt to be. Augustine, by this time, as the first emperor of Rome, he had taken on the title for himself, Divus Augustus. Right? He was calling himself a son of God, the divine Augustine. And he was demanding the worship of his subjects. And it was because of this pretender king's haughty decree that the true son of God, the true heavenly king, had to be born in such humble circumstances. After the newborn had been cleaned up, swatted up, and placed snugly in a feeding trough, we have the traditional nativity sin of an infant who was born that silent night in a humble Bethlehem home, 
contrasting with the rowdy clamour of men who were striving for glory. And so we reflect on the first verse of of this carol. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Next, in verse 8, we are quickly introduced to the first audience of this glorious news. This glorious news of the humble birth of Christ, God's Son. And we see this in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. In a nearby field right outside Bethlehem, something like this one, some unwitting shepherds were tending to sheep and goats. They were literally watching the watchers of the night over their flock. See, the long nights in the wilderness can be quite tedious, can be quite treacherous. With the cold weather and the constant threats from wild beasts targeting the flocks, And a shepherd's job was not an enviable one because it involved months of travel, months of nomadic travels away from their home. Shepherds, as a result, were often looked down upon with scorn and suspicion by people. And so this very recent clip from uh, Mediacorp's drama, I don't know if anyone watches this, Lion Moms, this video clip went viral recently because it portrays our local discrimination against migrant workers. Well, like shepherds, migrant workers live a hard life away from their family, and they are often very sadly despised by people. So a shepherd is not what every Jewish parent would want their child to become when they grow up. And yet, who does God choose to be the first audience of this glorious news? but these humble shepherds, the poor and despised of society. We can infer from Luke chapter 2, verse 24, that Joseph and Mary themselves weren't wealthy, at least not at that point in time, since they could only offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons as sacrifice. In Luke chapter 1, verse 52, Mary sang, The Lord has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. The rest of Luke's gospel would continue to show the Lord Jesus as a friend of the poor. In Luke 4.18, Jesus quoted Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. In Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6, the Lord Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And this is slightly different from Matthew's account, right? Where the Lord says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, in Matthew 5 verse 3. In Luke 21, the Lord would would command the poor widow because she has put in more than all of them, the rich. 
For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus also warns of the grave dangers of greed. He doesn't condemn wealth itself, but he condemns greed in his parable about the rich fool in, in Luke chapter 12. And later, the, the rich ruler was dissuaded from following Jesus on account of his great wealth in Luke 18. And this led to Jesus' famous words, It is easier for a, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so it is fitting that this glorious news should go out first, to, should go out first to humble and despised shepherds. The Lord Jesus later would call himself the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, and so thereby identifying himself with their despised profession. Jesus' birth was humble, and yet clearly he was no ordinary baby. Let's read the, the angel's words in verse 10 together, shall we? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. See, notice here that the angel first assures the shepherds. He tells them, Fear not because they were filled with great fear on account of God's radiating glory. And then he gives them the reason why they need not fear. And it's all because of who this newborn is. He uses three titles to describe this baby. He is a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And all three titles spell good news for all the people. Of the three Synoptic Gospels, only Luke uses the title Saviour for Jesus. And this word Saviour was used in the Old Testament to describe God as the Saviour of His people. And the judges who were the saviours who delivered God's people from the enemies. Well, earlier in chapter 1 verse 47, Mary had called God her Saviour. In Luke 1.69, Zechariah praised God for raising up a horn of salvation in his son. In 1.77, John the Baptist will make salvation known to God's people. But now the shepherds are being told that this baby, this little infant, is a saviour, the fulfilment of God's promise to rescue his people. Mary's boy was named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Next, the next title for the Lord is Christ. Right? Christ is the Greek for the Hebrew title Messiah or Anointed One. And this was the title for God's long-expected king. See, this child born in the city of David in Bethlehem is the promised son of David in Old Testament prophecy, especially in prophecies like 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9. The third and last title, Lord, has been used by Elizabeth to address Mary's unborn child in chapter 1 verse 43. 
and the title Lord Kurios in the Greek usually refers to God in the Greek Old Testament. Right? So you can refer to those verses there. But the angel was now calling this baby by this same divine title, Lord. And this title would be the most used in reference to Jesus in Luke's Gospel. But how exactly will these shepherds know this child who is the Saviour? Well, in local hospitals today, we know that babies are tagged once they are born with their mother's names, right? And But in recent years, to, prevent, uh, to further prevent mismatching of babies to mums, which has happened, right, hospitals have recently introduced RFID tags. And these tags would play a melody whenever the right infant is paired with the right mum. Right? But what is God's RFID tag for the Lord Jesus? Well, the angel says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But really, this is a sign to the disbelieving shepherds, right? This is a sign that God has really done as he said. He has sent his son as a baby boy. And then in verse 13, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. An, angel of, uh, an army of angels joined in now to praise God. With the birth of this Son of God, first comes glory to God in heaven, and then peace to those whom God favours on earth. Now I wonder... Have you heard the, the story of the Christmas truce in World War I? On Christmas Eve 1914, I quote from this article, men of the British Expeditory, Expeditionary Force heard German troops in the trenches opposite them singing carols, carols like Silent Nights, and patriotic songs, and saw lanterns and small fir trees along their trenches. Messages began to be shouted between the trenches. The following day, British and German soldiers met in no man's land, the area they are fighting for, and exchanged gifts, took photographs, and some played impromptu games of football. They also buried casualties and repaired trenches and dugouts. It was quite fitting, quite apt, that Silent Night was one of the carols sung by these warring parties in their brief truce. And unfortunately, this truth didn't last. It ended on Boxing Day. But God has declared forever truth with us, not because we are moral or good, but because His Son has made peace between God and sinners. And so let's reflect on this scene on the field outside Bethlehem as the glorious news proclaimed by the angel reaches the shepherds. Silent night, holy night, Shepherds quake at the sight. Glory stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing hallelujah. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. What glorious news. What wonderful news. How will these shepherds respond? Now it isn't something that they can simply forget about and then resume their normal daily routine again, right? 
So in verse 15, we see that they paid a joyous visit. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Notice the words used. Let us go over. And they went with haste. There's great purpose and urgency in their footsteps. And that is because they believed the angel's proclamation. They regarded it as what the Lord himself has made known. That is the very words of God. And through, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, just as the angel had said, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And having seen the infant Jesus, the shepherds made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all, that, all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. The shepherd couldn't keep this glorious news in to themselves, right? Now that they have seen that this is true, they must make it known to those who were present in that house. And the shepherds didn't forget about it immediately afterwards as well, but returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. See, this glorious news of Christ's humble birth has transformed their lives forever because they realized that God has graciously announced this good news first to these lowly shepherds. These graced shepherds, they were so grateful, they couldn't help but tell others what God has done. And I wonder, is that our response as well? Or are we just keeping it to ourselves because we have not realized how gracious God has been to us? The people who heard them wondered or they were amazed at what the shepherds told them. That this baby born among them that night was really a saviour who is Christ the Lord. We are not told whether these people in the end did they truly believe because we know that shepherds generally were not regarded as reliable witnesses at that time. But they were at least amazed by their words. Friends, I pray that may we not merely stop at wonder or amazement, but let us press on to know this truth about Christ. Lastly, Mary herself, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. While some may merely wonder, Mary pondered, and there's a difference, she pondered on the shepherd's words. She cherished this in her heart that God's redemption has truly arrived with the birth of her son. So to sum up, the three responses here, the shepherds lauded God for the good news. The bystanders wondered at the good news, but Mary pondered on the good news. And we also must ponder on this third verse of Silent Night. Silent Night Holy night, 
Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Brothers and sisters, friends, let us continue to ponder and contemplate on this glorious news about the humble birth of God's Son, the incarnation of God as a weak infant. For as we've seen today, the Lord Jesus is the friend of the poor. And are we also among the poor, perhaps? Because if we are, we are invited to experience God's grace today as well. And the poor today may include these three different groups. Firstly, those of us who are materially poor. And we could be materially poor because of what life has thrown us, life circumstances. Could be due to unemployment uh, exacerbated by COVID, due to ill health, or due to other reasons. Whatever humble circumstances we may find ourselves in, the Lord Jesus Christ identifies with us. He understands how we feel, and so we can cry out to Him in our sorrows and about our troubles. The Lord Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. God knows us and he cares for us. And so we can bring our sorrows and prayers to him. In Psalm 72, it assures us that he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. So brothers, sisters, friends, let us call on the Lord Jesus in our poverty. For those of us who are perhaps relationally poor, uh, not because of COVID isolation, but perhaps because we follow Christ, we may have lost friends or faced rejection from family or even lost prospects of marriage because we trust and follow the Lord. Brother, sister, you may be feeling so lonely today that you are so tempted to give up. When the Apostle Peter told the Lord, See, we have left our homes and followed you, the Lord said to them, to the disciples, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this, in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. The Lord offers us eternal life in His immediate presence in exchange for the corruptible and temporal things in this world that is perishing away. But even now, even now, friends, the Lord has also given us the body of Christ, His church, to be your support in your journey on earth. 
So what we may lose in human relations from the world, may we gain more abundantly in the community of God's people. We must build close friendships, not more distant ones. We must extend willing hospitality to one another beyond our token highs and buys each week as we come for our services. The Church of Jesus Christ must especially look out and care for those who are weak and poor on account of Christ. Those whom the world reject and despise, Christ's Church must specially cherish and honour. And may God rebuke us and forgive us when we fail to do so for one another. Third, the last group of people are those who may feel spiritually or morally poor. We feel like nobody accepts us. We find it hard to accept even ourselves because of what we have done in the past and we don't see a way out. But Jesus says that we are blessed if we recognize our spiritual poverty and moral corruption if we grieve because we are helpless to change our own condition and character. In the three parables of the lost sheep, lost coin, and the lost son in Luke 15, Jesus tells us that he has come, specially for the lost who recognize their poverty and helplessness. That is the reason he came, to be our substitute and to die to pay the penalty for our sins upon the cross. And so in Luke chapter 6, Jesus pronounces four blessings on the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, and the despised, those who are poor, hungry, sorrowful, and despised on Jesus' account. He says this, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But in Luke uh, in the same chapter, verses 24 to 26, Jesus would pronounce four corresponding woes on the rich, the fool, the mocker, and those who are popular in this world. Blessed are the poor and humble, for the glorious Christ chose to come into the world as a baby in humility. Jesus' birth is a riches to wrecks story, so that ours may be a wrecks to riches story. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, you may know that many people are eagerly awaiting tomorrow's premiere, of the latest Spider-Man movie, No Way Home, right? And this movie is going to explore the idea of a multiverse. Beyond this universe, there are, multi, there are multiple universes, right? So the story on people's minds right now is, will they or will they not appear? Will Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield from the earlier Spider-Man movie series finally appear in this movie? There are lots of speculations, and you, know, you may have read lots about it, but we will only know when the movie premieres in the US tomorrow and in Singapore this Thursday. Right? So no spoilers, I don't know yet either. But the Lord Jesus, our way home to the Father, 
he has certainly appeared. And this Christmas, may we contemplate the incarnation of God's Son as a man who came to live and to die for us. For our sake, he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. The humble birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour, is a glorious news that we must joyously visit again and again. And so we're going to do so by rising together now for our closing song, Silent Night. This is written by a humble priest, Joseph Moore, and it's really about the humble birth of our glorious Saviour King. And although we can't sing aloud, let's take this opportunity to meditate on the words, ponder on the meaning of these verses together. Let's stand together for this song. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 to 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let us close by singing this all-time Christmas classic, Silent Night.
Let us close in prayer and receive the benediction. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Thank you, God, for the humble birth of your Son, Jesus Christ, the friend of the poor and of sinners. As we ponder the glorious news of Christ, our Savior and Lord, cause us to be forever transformed by your redeeming grace. Help us believe and share this good news with others, proclaiming Christ the Savior is born. Now may the Lord of peace himself Give us peace at all times in every way. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, born that Christmas Eve, be with us all. Amen. <laughs>